0: Welcome to the Encore of Episode 51 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels.
0: I once had a client tell me, women are not good at networking. She had hired me to speak about networking at a women's leadership conference. As per usual, I was the only man not sponsoring the event that was invited to speak. It's always an honor when I'm invited to speak about strategic and inclusive relationship building, whether in person or virtually. The way I approach these topics resonates with women which is why I was a bit caught off guard by my client's comment that women are not good at networking. She continued, men naturally gravitate to talking about business and always exchange business cards. While I understood what she was saying, I didn't agree. What she was describing is transactional networking. We've all witnessed these kinds of exchanges or experienced them firsthand. Standing in one of those tight networking circles at an event, some guy starts handing out his card to everyone. Suddenly, everyone is doing this, and it starts to kind of feel like a poker game. Spray and pray networking isn't what I teach, and it isn't the kind of networking I think anyone should be doing. I've met men and women who've had this approach. It's definitely not a style unique to just men, but women in particular tell me that this kind of networking doesn't feel authentic and is a big turnoff. If they know a networking event has a high likelihood of attracting this type of activity, they may decide to not bother even attending. What I encourage my coaching clients and audience members to focus on is relationship building. And at its core, this is about helping people, helping by making introductions, sharing resources, and being supportive. You know any women good at helping? (laughs) Exactly. These are skills that women, in general, excel at, yet they don't perceive this to be a networking activity. Your challenge this week. Before your next networking opportunity, make a list of at least five ways you can help people you are likely to meet at that event. Who in your network would potentially be interested in meeting this community? What's your favorite productivity tool or app? Where do you get your news and business intel? When's the best time to post on Instagram or another social channel? How do you manage to juggle so many priorities? Go into the event feeling resource-rich rather than focusing on what you need. Remember, networking is about building relationships, which is all about helping people try this and let me know how it goes before we dive into this week's interview are you interested in working with me one-on-one or want to know more about my mastermind program for entrepreneurial women check out my programs at robbiesamuelscom forward slash coaching and then schedule a chat so we can see how i can support you around leveraging your virtual network to grow your impact and income also a variation of the story I shared today was first published in my weekly email on July 4th, 2017 and we featured in my new book coming out later this fall. Now on to this week's encore interview. Today's guest has found a way to marry her knowledge of the law with her experience working with influencers to create hashtag# Legal, a law firm dedicated to helping businesses succeed in a digital world. As technology created new opportunities for business owners, The legal industry did not keep up with the times. Hashtag legal fills that void. Their clients are influencer networks, CEOs of digital empires, online entrepreneurs, creatives, and small business owners. Previously, she was director of operations and chief counsel at Type A Parent, the world's premier conference, influencer network, and community for mom bloggers, dad bloggers, and the marketers who want to connect with them. She's been practicing lawyer for over 10 years, and has worked for a large international law firm in New York City on complex commercial matters and for a federal district judge on both civil and criminal federal cases. She's also an adjunct professor at Seton Hall Law School. Please join me in welcoming Jamie Lieberman.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Jamie, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Hoboken, New Jersey. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, Tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: So for me, uh, I believe leadership is about surrounding yourself with people who do things better than you do things. I have certain strengths, but I also have certain things I'm not as good at. And so for me, to be able to surround myself with people who can accomplish those things and I can bring the best in them out, I think is what leadership means to me. I realized that I enjoyed leadership and that I was not so bad at it. When I was actually working for the judge, I was responsible for a pretty intensive um, intern program. And I had all these law students that we would carefully vet through and they would all report to me. And it was my job essentially to teach them how to be lawyers in a professional environment, how to write. And I had a number of them that I had to be responsible for plus all of my other duties. And so it was there that I really learned and started to understand what it meant to be a leader.
0: So is there a time even way back when, like um, in high school or college where people saw leadership potential in you or were you just like stepped up into an opportunity that you saw yourself?
1: I sort of shied away from being a leader when I was younger, even though I've Felt like maybe it might be something I was interested in doing until I was a senior in high school when I was forcibly pushed into being the stage manager of a play. Um, And while I found myself enjoying leadership, I don't think I understood what it really meant at 17. And so I think I was good at rounding everybody up and keeping everybody quiet in the back, but I don't think I had a full understanding at that age of what it really meant to be a lawyer. It's just not bossing people around.
0: Yeah. It's funny you just said lawyer, but I think a lawyer and leader for you must be synonymous. Oh,
1: yes. Like- <laughs> leader, a <not> lawyer. <laughs> yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit about how you sort of went from being the stage manager to kind of deciding to go into law. That's so considering like you, you liked being behind the scenes, it seems, but still having some control over the outcome. So that's, that's a stage manager role right there. So tell me how that kind of leads into this career that you currently have. It
1: was way longer after. I never thought I was going to be a lawyer, um, even coming out of college. I came out of college in the late 90s, and I was bouncing from dot .com to dot .com, because that's what you did in the late 90s. And I actually worked in human resources, um, which I liked, but wasn't something so exciting for me, until I finally started working for a publishing company that um, as their HR manager. And at about a week in, the CEO of the company came and said, I don't think HR is so much of a fit for you, at which point I thought, okay, how much money do I have in my savings account? Because I may have to move back in with my parents. But in fact, what he was saying is, I think there's a better role here for you. And that role actually turned out to be a leadership role. I ended up managing about 75 people. I was about 24 years old. And most of them were much older than me. um, And I ran operations of this publishing company. Um, And what happened was the economy was doing very, very well at the time. And then 2001 happened and the economy kind of tanked and the company started to go under and I started negotiating all these settlements with vendors having no experience doing any of that and I was working with outside counsel and I had decided because I was 25 I was like let's go back to school (laughs) the economy's not doing well and he suggested maybe you should think about law school and so that's sort of how I ended up going to law school uh, was because of this experience I had at this publishing company it was never something frankly I had ever even thought about but turned out to be some of the best advice I've ever gotten.
0: It's really fascinating to me when, in retrospect, you can look at sort of the broken road of a career. And there's some thread that goes through it, but it's like only in retrospect can you sort of see it. But it, but I do see that you were open to opportunities, but you also got pushed into some of them. So, <laughs> so there's a way in which you were like, I could do that. And someone else was like, yes, yes, you can. And only after getting convinced a few times did you venture. But then once you're in these new roles, do you just like gravitate to it and really like own it? Or are you still hesitant as you start to take on these new responsibilities?
1: Um, I own it. I'm in it. Um, But I will say that law school was really the pivotal turning point for me uh, in terms of knowing what it is that I wanted to do, knowing who I was. And at that point, no one was pushing me into anything. Every career choice I've made since I went to law school has been, I think, well thought out with a better understanding of who I am and what my strengths are. But Yes, you are right. For a very long time, I was sort of pushed into things where I'm like, ah, can I do that? And then once I hit law school, I knew, I I think I got that confidence and knew that I could.
0: It's so powerful when you finally come into your own in that way. And I have to say, coming into your own in your mid twenties is not so late. <laughs> a lot of people are struggling a lot longer than that to find their way and figure out their their path. You know, you talk to people who you know are are heading into their forties and they're still not quite sure what they're doing yet with their life. So. Uh, as you're walking your way through that, uh, now you're in a new like role, and you're you're still practicing law, but you're doing it in a very particular niche. And I think it's really fascinating because everyone says in the world of entrepreneurs, the niches are where the riches are, right? So like, so or the riches are in the niches, I think is the phrase. How did you come across this need in with, with creating hashtag legal?
1: I worked a traditional law route as a lawyer. I worked at a very large law firm in New York City. Uh, I practiced complex commercial litigation. I then went and worked for the government. I worked for a judge. And the whole time I knew I loved the law, but I sort of didn't know what my place in the law was because those were fits for me, but they didn't excite me the way I knew a job could and I knew the law could for me. And so after I had my first son, uh, I decided I was going to take a step back and really figure out what it is that I wanted to do. So I started taking freelance positions as a lawyer, just doing ghostwriting sort of to make ends meet, but really while thinking about what it is I wanted to do, and I started blogging. I had had blogs for years, but they were personal blogs, nothing that I was, no one really monetized blogs when I started uh, blogging many, many years ago. Um, And this time I started thinking about it from a business perspective, and in doing so, I came across Type A Parent, which you talked about, uh, Type A Parent is a company that runs uh, events, conferences, and is sort of a network of influencers. They're basically parents who blog. And I started working for them doing odd jobs. It was not I was not their lawyer when I started because I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I wanted to find out a little bit more about the influencer marketing industry because I saw something there. I just wasn't sure what it was. It was sort of forming. And in working there, people started to f- know me and I started to meet all of these influencers. And they started asking me legal questions. And I started looking around and saying, huh, nobody does this. Nobody understands what it's like to both be an influencer to work in this digital space and the legal issues that face influencers. And so I started answering those legal questions and started realizing there's something here. And so I watched and I waited and I really learned the business before I decided I was going to go and practice law and work with these um, online entrepreneurs. I met my business partner who had a similar feeling and idea. She comes from a similar background as me and it just sort of clicked. Uh, And so that's how we ended up here. And it was, I feel very grateful because I love this space.
0: You know, since since we talk a lot about networking on this podcast, one thing I want to observe about what you just said is that a lot of times lawyers and uh, people in sort of professions like that, service professions, they're always trying to figure out like where to network. And while you do want to network with your peers, the people who are also, let's say, lawyers, uh, that's important. It's also really helpful when you're the only lawyer in the room <laughs> of other people doing work. And so in your case, you found yourself being the lawyer. So if they had a question or needed a referral, they were going to come to you, Jamie, because you were the lawyer they, that they knew. So that helps sort of uh, differentiate yourself right there. I also appreciate that you took the time to understand the need before you launched the business. Because I think people jump in so quickly. They waste a lot of time trying to figure out what people need before, like by the time you launched, people were like waiting for it. They were excited for it, right? Like, yes, Jamie is going to create this opportunity for us, solve all of our problems. So uh, how long ago was that, that you created this?
1: Let's see. It was over two years ago. Uh, that we really started doing maybe even a little bit longer, that we really started doing it. It's been in various iterations. I was doing it on my own for a little bit. Um, and then I, But I met my business partner about two and a half years ago. And that's when we really went full force um, into really trying to start this business and run this business.
0: Well, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing right now?
1: Empowering small business owners. There is nothing that feels better to me than when I talk to somebody on the phone or meet someone in person who says, legal just feels so scary and overwhelming. And I can turn to them and say, it doesn't have to be. And I become a partner with them because a lawyer should really be someone that you trust and should really be someone who partners with you to make your business better. And so when I can make a client more money, when I can help a client protect his or her business, all of those things are, that's what gets me going. That's what I love about this job.
0: I'm curious about something because one of the things the, the law profession is sort of known for is charging by the minute <laughs> maybe it's the quarter hour maybe it's the quarter hour but it feels like it's by the minute and everything i've learned about how to, to design packages and offer products and offer services is that it's better to sort of charge by the project than by the hour is that something that you've managed to kind of shift in the way you're approaching hashtag legal
1: it's a blend and it really varies client by client. Everything is extremely specific to each client's uh, situation. The one thing that we do do is they get an hours estimate from me up front if it is an hourly project and I do not go over that hours estimate unless I get permission. So we have a conversation, uh, we talk about what the the parameters of the project are and then I come back and say I think this will take me 3 hours. If I start getting into the weeds of it and I think it's going to take an extra hour, I will then go back to that client and say, listen, I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's going to take an extra hour. Is that okay? And they almost always say, of course. And I almost, I so rarely do that. Um, I really try very hard because I know that budgets are a really big deal for small businesses. So I'm extremely cognizant of that. So they know everything up front. So there's never any surprises.
0: Yeah, because I I can imagine that would be one of the reasons a small business owner would be nervous about, calling a more traditional lawyer is the clock's ticking and you're not even sure what your question is. I mean, that's like, you're still trying to figure out what words to use in the question and then you're educating the lawyer about your field and that all takes time. And meanwhile, the clock's ticking and you're paying for that time. So you come with the experience and then you're able to help these folks. So, okay, so that's all the stuff that's wonderful about it. What's challenging? What's challenging about taking on a new niche like this working in such a different way within a traditional industry?
1: So it's funny that you say that time (laughs) is really my biggest challenge. Um, I also, like I said earlier, I have, I have, I have two children, actually they're younger. Um, I work at home and um, they are, they have childcare, so that's not an issue, but just finding all the time to be able to juggle all those things between being a mom and being a lawyer. And I travel fairly extensively because I speak at a number of conferences, um, which is one of the things I love most is being able to get in front of a group and to talk to them and to educate people about how the law can be more accessible. And so balancing all that time is frankly my biggest challenge.
0: So do you have a team that's helping you? Like, are you um, building that up? And it's been a couple of years now. I know it still kind of feels both new, but in some ways you almost have to build the team like right before you need it in order to like not miss a beat.
1: Yes, we have an unbelievable support system. That is what enables me to find all the time and to be able to juggle everything. And knowing, like I said, what we talked about, Sort of when we started this conversation, knowing what my strengths are and having somebody else who's there to be able to do those things for me
0: so what are the things that you feel most comfortable kind of delegating what are the things that you're like that's not mine I know it's I want someone else who loves it to focus
1: um, the back end of my website <laughs> graphic design accounting I have all amazing professionals who who take care of that for me and I am incredibly grateful that I found such fantastic partners who are able to sort of take that over for me. I used to think, oh, I can just do that flyer. I can come up with that. That's the worst idea. I will spend four hours putting something together that my unbelievable graphic designer can do in about five minutes. It's just, it's silly.
0: Yeah, it is amazing when you start to really build a team like that. So there's this sort of common struggle when you're striving for success, this idea of worrying about being wrong or failing. What is something that you're particularly not good at and and how are you backfilling that?
1: Organization. that is my that is my kryptonite, and I'm incredibly grateful because my business partner is without question, the most organized woman on the planet. she her label maker is her favorite thing. She is just all about the Trello boards. She's phenomenal. She is, that is such a talent that I just don't have. And so she really, when we have a large project, we'll talk about it. She comes up with unbelievable ideas as well, but she is just so well organized that she makes sure that we just fully stay on track. And that is why we make such great partners.
0: Yeah. I've talked to a lot of folks who are starting businesses. And and one of the things I, I give as advice is to not go alone into that venture, even though you're passionate about this project, like It sounds like for you, once you found the right partner, the right business partner, it it all just moves so much more quickly. And like you said, you're complementing each other skills-wise and also just like, you know, thinking outside the box in ways you never would have before. Is there other advice that you would share with people who are thinking about starting their own venture?
1: Be prepared to fail um, is probably the biggest piece of advice that I give to people. Um, And don't wallow in it, but learn from it. So I've certainly launched products or approached clients or gone to conferences that were just not a good fit. And so instead of beating myself up about it and saying, oh, I can't believe I did that, or it's really looking at those failures objectively, knowing that you can't be perfect, taking something from those failures and moving forward um because you can really get lost in the muck when you're running your own business uh without being able to step back and say what did I do great there what did I do not so great and how can I you know continue that in the future
0: yeah and having another person who's there in the room with you helping you think that through is probably get you out of your own head yes you know you mentioned this earlier but I'm really curious about this idea of um I don't know whether it's work life balance because that feels a little bit a little bit off i think it's like work life integration yes <laughs> Because I am also a work-at-home parent and um, I have a toddler. I know your children are a little bit older than that, but still, they take a lot of time. So, you know, how do you? How, what are you doing to think about that? Like, what's self-care look like in the world of, you know, uh, entrepreneur, you know, at-home parent, all of those things?
1: This is a question I'm actually very passionate about. I work out every single day. It is something I do for myself. I take one hour to myself and I go exercise. And I don't exercise in the house. I go to a gym for a class that I have signed up for that I will get charged $20 if I don't show up to. Um, And I don't want to get charged $20 if I don't show up. That is my self-care and I take it very seriously. Um, And I need that for myself. I need that one hour for myself because I feel like the other 23 are dedicated to everybody else.
0: Yeah. Is there something in particular you've been, struggling to integrate some sort of habit other than going to the gym. Do you really mean every day when you say every day? I do. Wow.
1: I'm one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's great when you can find that. So is there something else that you're you're trying to work in given the other 23 hours are still all there?
1: I mean, there's loads of things I <laughs> I would love to do. I live in a city, and so I miss going shopping or going somewhere, everything I do, all my shopping is online. This is all personal care. I assume that we're talking about everything I do is online. So I don't have that experience of like grabbing a girlfriend like I did, you know, pre kid and pre owning your own business and going and having lunch and shopping for a few hours. I I would love to be able to integrate that more. And I just I can't find the time to do that.
0: You know, it is interesting. What now counts as downtime for me? My wife was just saying the same thing. Like, Listening to fifteen minutes of news <laughs> on MSNBC is like downtime. If it's if it's uninterrupted, <laughs> I feel like yeah, I'm yeah. just sitting here listening to this, <laughs> this show. So yeah, get get it where you can. Um, so we're shifting gears a little bit um, around like this piece about networking. You've been building up a professional network now for many years. It sounds like it's really expanded quite a bit in the last five years. You're speaking a lot of different places. I know it's something you really love to do. How have you been sort of nurturing that network? It's not just not just building it, but sustaining it.
1: For me, um, a lot of my network and the people that I connect with most, we connect online because the majority of my clients and the people who I work with, are, they exist online. That's sort of where their, their businesses are. And so... It is staying active in those groups uh, where I know that a lot of the people that are in my network are and just being a part of the conversation, not just chiming in when somebody asks for a lawyer, but when someone says, hey, do you have a great app for X or do you whatever the case may be, um, because I I am not just a lawyer. I'm also a business owner or like the other day, somebody just posted, anybody know of a good accountant that specializes in online businesses? And I love my accountant. So I threw her name in there as fast as I possibly could. Things like that, just really being there to help out people, not just for any other reason Then it just makes me feel really good to be able to connect people and to let people um, benefit from maybe some of my failures or some of my successes.
0: It sounds like you're always trying to figure out how to add value, not just through your professional services, but just by being in the room by, or being in the space with them. You, you mentioned that you go speaking, um, I'm assuming this is at conferences, and I have a book that's out called Croissants Versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And because you haven't heard of this, I'm going to give you a quick understanding of the croissants and bagels. Um, when you go into a, a networking event or a conference, people stand in the hallway in those tight networking circles really hard to break into, those are the bagels. <laughs> if someone kind of inside that space opens up their body language and makes some uh, room for someone to then join that circle, it's that's the croissant you're looking for. And um, that, yeah, so it's the stickiest concept in the talk that I've been doing for years, Art of the Schmooze. Um, my question is, is there anything you're doing purposefully in preparation for these events, whether you're going to speak or going to attend or both? You know, how are you maximizing that time away from home, that time away from your business and knowing that you're going to get the most value out of it?
1: There's two ways I find that conferences are most effective. Um, One is being active in the Facebook group ahead of time. So you sort of get a feeling for, because almost all conferences have a private Facebook group at this point. The conferences I attend, um, which are typically online entrepreneurs, influencers. Um, So being active in that Facebook group, and even if you're not active, if you're not posting all the time, but just reading what everybody's writing about, because you start to see what people are interested in and, and what issues are facing the people who are attending these events. And the second I find is partnering up. Finding somebody there who is um, a great connector, somebody who will introduce you to people. My most effective conferences are with when I know I'm going to be meeting somebody there who knows a whole host of people I've never met before. And then the same for that person I'm meeting. And then we just introduce each other. Hey, have you met so-and-so? you guys would have X in common. Um, I find that there are a lot of people in the world who just love to connect people. And so I'm one of those people. I love introducing everybody to everybody. And so if you find other people who are connectors that way, who will introduce you to people you may have never met before, that is a great way to network and meet some amazing new people at a conference.
0: This is such a great tip. Are you explicit with this other connector about the, uh, the exchange here, like, I'll do this for you, you'll do this for me? Like, how do you approach that?
1: Well, usually, to be honest with you, it's it's a friend or somebody that I know. And I'll say, hey, let's, you know, team up, let's go in together. I have a couple that I just sort of always do this with um, a couple of people if we're going to be at the same events, and it's sort of become a bit of an understanding. Uh, but we've, The people I do this with, I typically have more of a personal connection with. It's not just like a sterile kind of business relationship. We're sort of invested in each other and we want to help each other out.
0: That's great. I love that tip. I think a lot of people are going to events because they have to or should. And at the end of a long weekend, they're kind of exhausted and they don't know if it was worth it. And they're stressed out about work and all home stuff. But they also don't know if they're going to apply anything they learned you know, back on their business. Do you have any tips for how to make sure that the takeaways actually get used?
1: <laughs> Accountability groups. Ah. Uh, I find that those are fantastic and more and more people are sort of forming them at these events. And I see them in the Facebook groups afterwards. So for example, I just went to this phenomenal conference. Of, it's all, it was called Women in Travel. It's just women who are influencers in the travel industry. And there was a woman who started a thread that said, if you're in New York City, we're going to pull together an accountability group. We'd love you know, to meet up once a month where we just sit somewhere, work with each other, and we just talk about what it is that we're doing. And I jumped on that because I'm so close to New York City. I'm like, I'm all over that. I'm all about the accountability groups. I think they're fantastic. Your interests don't even have to be the same, but you just have to be able to put what your goals are out there. And then once you put them out in the universe and you say them out loud, you're far more accountable for them than if you've just written them on a piece of paper and you haven't actually told anybody because it's easy to ignore that paper, but it's not easy to ignore those six faces that are looking at you saying, you said you were gonna get this done. Um, and those I find are really effective.
0: But it also seems like such a powerful way to deepen a relationship with people that had a shared experience of being at that event. So even if you didn't meet at the event, just by seeing that note on Facebook, and saying, and jumping in, saying yes to the opportunity. Well, now you're meeting with these five other women on a monthly basis, which is a great way to like have that ongoing connection. And of course, their networks are now opening up to you in between the two conferences. So, you know, and when you go back to the conference, it'll be an even more you know, awesome time because you'll know more people. This is great. It sounds like you have such a plan for how you approach life. Um, so I wonder, though, that if you were talking to your 25-year-old self and giving your 25-year-old self advice what is the one thing that you would encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network
1: i think i would have told my 25-year-old that my 25-year-old self that every person you meet will offer you something it doesn't necessarily have to be money or a client or it doesn't matter. You will gain something from every person that you meet. Um, and so go into it with an open mind. You just never know who you're talking to. You never know what kind of insight. You don't know what their experiences are just talking to people who have run businesses or who have, you know, kids stuff, whatever the case may be, there's always something that you can take from somebody else. And so just go into those conversations with an open mind, be friendly be honest about your who you are and how you're feeling, and you can form those connections. You don't have to be on all the time. It's just more about forming that human connection between you and somebody else. And I wish I would have understood that at 25, where I was always thinking, like, what is this person going to get for me? That's not the way I think networking or any kind of relationship building should be formed should be really like, what can I give to you? And what can I learn from you?
0: I think it's also hard at 25 or, you know, when you're in the beginning of your career and you're going into these opportunities, these like conferences, you don't know what you can offer. Like a lot of times people stop themselves from networking because the way they, they feel about it feels, I mean, actually I just posted a podcast last week uh, or actually when this airs, it was probably months ago. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) But, um, It was in uh, May that I posted it. It was called The Dirty Business of Networking, and it's about this Harvard study of how people physically feel dirty when doing that sort of transactional networking, but that's because they're they're not thinking about it in that genuine relationship-building sense, and particularly if they're newer in their career, they're thinking, well, what could I offer anyway? I, I just feel like I'm needing things. I'm taking things, and it doesn't feel very good, but... Do you think your 25 year old self would have heard your advice and like found a way to you know put it into practice? Or do you think you, you were just on the cusp of like kind of getting into law school and taking ownership of your life? And yeah, do you think you needed a few more years to kind of work that out?
1: I think maybe 28-year-old self would have heard that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 Saturn's return.
1: (laughs) But I will say for the people who may be listening who are in their 20s and just starting out, I learn an incredible amount from people who are much younger than me because there are trends that I don't catch um, that they do and they tell me about. So there's, I think that there's value from every age and you can learn from, I learn from everybody. So I I think that- if someone does feel that way, you shouldn't. Um, cause there's so much to be learned. Everybody has a life experience. Everybody's walked a different route and there's, there's just so much to be learned from everybody that I don't think there should be. If you approach it from that, I just want to get to know somebody, meet somebody. Then I think that that you can learn something from everybody.
0: I actually recently talked to an influencer who was talking about creating, we're saying like the, the idea of building your personal board of directors. Um, and, this is a really great concept and he said actually I think one of the people I'm going to invite onto my personal board of directors is my intern because the intern knew a lot about social media and particularly like how to use it in the mar- for marketing and it was very new to this influencer he like knew it was necessary but he didn't really know how to how to optimize it and so he's like oh yeah like I'm teaching this intern all these other things about business but this is something that I can ask him to teach me. And so, yeah, don't discount your skills or your you know, uh, offerings of what you, you have to give to the world, um, no matter what age you are. So if we were to be checking in again a year from now, which I hope we will be, and you're sharing just what an amazing year it's been. What are the accomplishments that we will be celebrating together?
1: I have a big goal for myself that I am going to start my own podcast. So I just said it out loud. So now I've made myself accountable. (laughs) Um, And I also, um, I want to do more keynote style talks. So that's another thing that I, is a personal goal of mine. Um, Professionally would be to be able to just continue to connect with um, the type of clients that I resonate most with and that connect most with me and that I can continue to help make legal feel very easy for people instead of that, just, I don't want people to have a pit in their stomach. So if a year from now I have more clients that are saying, I don't feel nauseous when I have to talk to my lawyer, then I feel a lot better about it. <laughs> That's <a good>
0: goal. <laughs> So how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Um, so you can check out our website at hashtag dash legal.com. Um, you can email me at Jamie J a M I E at hashtag dash legal.com. And those are two of the best ways. We're also on Facebook. You can find us there too.
0: That's great. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Great talking to you.
1: Thank you. It was great chatting with you too.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jamie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for the encore of episode 140. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which of your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.